Welcome to episode one of The Process. Who is Quavon Taylor? They're chanting, trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Monte Martin. People close to me call me Monte or Tay. And my name is Quavon Taylor and those closest to me call me Quay. And this is episode one of The Process. Yo, Quay, man, tell the people where you're from. Well, I'm from Miami, Florida, Monte. Miami, home of South Beach, Dr. Miami, women in bikinis. That's where you're from. <laughs> nah, bro. I ain't from that side of Miami. I'm from the other side of Miami. The side, you know, they tell you not to go to. Closest to Biscayne, you know, where they sell all the cocaine. Brown Sub, Lincoln Field, Overtown, PSU, Open Locker, Carrot City. Yeah, I'm from that side of Miami. You know, uh, the bad side. I would say the ugly side. So, so growing up on the in the ugly side, you know, in Liberty City, where people who visit Miami may not be too familiar with. You know, what was it like growing up there? Man, growing up in Miami, you might see a a shootout. You might hear the police sirens. You might see a dope fiends. I mean, you're gonna see a lot growing up in Miami. You're gonna grow up fast. You see, you see the, the Insta famous people. The famous on Instagram was still living in a small little house. You know, that's everywhere, <laughs> man. You know, Miami is Miami is Miami. I mean, money is a major issue though, and people down there get it at all costs. You know, they sell dope. You know, they rob, they steal, they kill. Uh, those that's that's not the South Beach side, but that's the the reality of what going on across that bridge. You know, some people go to work too. Now you got hardworking people too. Now you have that all over the world. But you know, it's two sides of Miami. And so, also the city side. You from the city side? So, what obstacles did you have to overcome, or you know, what hurdles did you have to overcome growing up on that side? Well, growing up on that side, one of the biggest obstacles I had to overcome was. Not falling victim to the streets, running the streets, not making myself a a, pro, a product of my environment. You know, a lot of times people fall victim to gun violence and they just want to be robbing, stealing, killing, being into all type of the foolishness, doing a life sentence, going to prison. You know, the generational curse that I can say I was, I, I could kind of say I was cursed with it. And like a lot of other dudes are cursed with it, you know, but, you know, I'm glad I didn't go to prison. I almost fell victim to that generational curse because I was arrested myself when I was an adolescent, when I was 18 for, you know, a slower charge, a big boy charge where I had to go to trial and I was facing life sentence. So, you know, that has to, that has to be hard. You know, you, you, you dodging the street life, you dodging, you know, the generational curse that you mentioned. But how do you move your mind when your body is still in that situation? Well, when your body is still in that situation, you have no choice but to adapt. Either you, you swim or you sink. 
When you swim, you sink, you're going to drown, you're going to die. So you learn how to swim in, the, in that ocean with them shards and you know how to maneuver and go here and go there. I did a lot of things through prayer, though. You know, I every time I felt weak, went to God and he always gave me the answers. I mean, it might not have been the answer that I wanted to hear, but it gave me an answer and it helped me to move forward and grow stronger and grow as a man. And I thank God for that. You mentioned the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm sure that was an ugly point in your life. How did you overcome that? Uh, I overcame that situation through faith, through prayer. I mean, I know it was God, you know. I mean, that was a tough situation. I mean, I learned that, you know, uh, trouble is easy to get into and hard to get out of. I'm still dealing with that situation to this day. It haunts me to this day, you know. In life, in life, you make bad choices uh, and you, you get uh, bad results. So for going through a lot of obstacles about living in Miami, who, who is Quay now? How, how would you define Quay today? Well, first off, Quay is a man of God. Secondly, I'm a husband. Third, I'm a father. And I'm a great friend to those friends I have. And I'm a great brother to those brothers I have. I mean... I've experienced a lot of things in life that that transgression that changed me into a better person. Most recently, I had to witness uh, a turning point in my life. I witnessed a friend die before me, before my own eyes, over senseless violence, uh, gun violence, uh, mutual just eye contact. You know what you looking at? What you looking at? Basically, a male pride thing. You know, and I and I and I hold that to my heart to this day. And it helped turn. It was a big turning point in my life. So you witnessed your friend get killed in front of you. How? What happened that day? Man, that day was a. It was a day that man, I wish never happened to me, man. I have to tell you a story about leading up to that day. The day before that day, man, I was chilling in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, with a good friend. You know, Devontae Freeman. Uh, Uncle Luke concert, uh, Freak Fest. I guess we were just having a good time, like what the regular college students do. That time I was uh, training, trying to get in the NFL. My mental was 2015. My mental state was, you know, positive wave, positive energy. I was on my way to visit my wife. At that time, she was my girlfriend. Uh, she was in Florida State uh, med- Medical School. So I went to go visit a friend, you know, on my way to visit my friend, you know, that, that day, early that day, uh, we had it, went to the barbershop, I got a haircut. Uh, then from there, we went to Panera Bread. After that, we had a short break where we were going to his house just to sit back and chill, you know, watch TV. Uh, we sat back, you know, we got to his apartment complex because the, the the, the plan was, as I told you, the plan was to go to the house, sit back, watch a little TV, play a little games, and just chill. So, you know, we stopped inside his apartment complex. My friend was doing laundry that day. Uh, so everyone at the complex loved him, man. You know, he was a good dude. You know, he was doing laundry like I told you. And, you know, he was talking to a dude outside of his complex, one of the dudes he knew from his complex. His car pulled up. I see my friend lock eyes with this dude. I mean, I don't know what they were talking about. It was more of a conversation of a male ego, a pride thing. Nobody wanted to back down for nobody. Uh, what you looking at type thing, you know. 
I mean, a lot of guys go through this complex. What you looking at? What you looking at? What you looking at? From there, my friend motioned to me to come to him, to his aid, to aid the situation. He knocked on my door, my window. I was sitting in my car. I mean, put me in a situation where now I had to get out of my car and go over to the dude. Man, ask him, man, what's going on? What's the problem? You know me, man. I, I'm a man. I've been in a tough situation, and I know I'm a good judgment of a man's movement. And I go to the dude, go to his car to see what's going on, and he didn't spark back. So, you know, I didn't want to uh, use too much force to uh, be overrided by the situation. So I told my friend, man, you know, man, get in the car, man. The dude, he don't really want no problems, man. You know, man, he's not sparking back. You know, from that from that situation, from that point right there, the dude, you know, he was already seated in his car. So he, he drove off, you know. He kind of drove towards his mailbox, and, you know, kind of was going to get his mail. My friend, uh, listen to me, got in his car. But from that situation, he kind of drove towards the mailbox as well. And, you know, me, I just know these guys just got into this altercation, man. And I know, man, nothing good could come with this. So, you know, I kind of sat back and, man, I was telling my friend, man, you know, man, this is a good situation. But, you know, my friend kind of went over to the mailbox, to that area. I don't know if it was getting mail. I don't know what the situation was. But they exchanged more words. The next thing you know, I heard a gunshot. Pow, pow. My friend tried to run. I thought I didn't know he was shot. But, you know, went over there to him, man. He was, he was shot. I had to go over there and aid him. You know, the guy called the police officers and told him, man, I shot a man. I killed him. I mean, I shot a man. He didn't know he was dead neither. He said he shot a man and he gave him, a, you know, the little story and everything like that. And the man, he was he was scared. I mean, it was a scary situation that, you know, things can, it just showed me that, you know, things can escalate so fast in the blink of an eye. And it allowed me to know that, man, pride, man. You, I mean, it don't make you less of a man to look away. I mean, that day, I wish my friend would look away. I wish he could be back here with his his mom, his daughter. It was a tough situation for me to tell my friend, mom, the first time I met her, your son died. And the way that he died wasn't a way of, okay, we go into a club and, you know, and then they get into something. It was just in his apartment complex, going to buy the mailbox. I mean, I can't say, I don't know if his intentions would get to get mail. But I just know it was a confrontation between two men that we killing our own, you know, and it's kind of tying to bikes up, guns down, killing our own ain't cool. I mean, killing our own ain't cool. I didn't see uh, any reason for him to die. And then let's just say the other dude, I didn't see any reason for him to kill him. You know, it's just overreacting. I mean, men pro being prideful, emotions, a heated moment. I just wish that day could go back. I wish I could reverse time. That's a powerful story. And that, you know, that speak to, like you said, things can happen, you know, escalate in the blink of an eye, you know, and we need more initiatives like Guns Down, Bikes Up. What's the purpose? What's the mission of Guns Down, Bikes Up? I know this, you know, had the influence, you know, what the work that you're doing now. The mission is to spread the word, man. You know, the killing ain't cool. I mean, why you why why must it be cool to kill your own? I mean, we the same. We all are the same. 
the majority of the average person that look like me are poverty stricken. They don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of resources. Uh, the majority of them are a single home, you know, mom raising them, grandma raising them. So it's like, man, we kind of all want all in the same situation. Why are we? Why aren't we helping build each other up? Why aren't we being men together? Now we were just in high school, middle school, elementary school, and we were friends. Then when we, as we got older, we got guns now. Now the fights led into killing each other. That's what that's what we're going to. I mean, I think we're going too far. And I think we have to take a look at ourselves and say, hold on, man, this ain't cool. We're killing each other. In a minute, who gonna protect our queens if all the kings kill each other for trying to be real niggas? I mean, uh, being a real nigga, that's that's not a, a term of endearment. I mean, it's really a bad word, but we just, we embrace it as it's so cool. Why can't being a king be cool again? Being a queen be cool again? Why can't we get our crowns back? You know, killing ain't cool, and that's the message I want to send across the world, man. Uh, man, hope I can touch one, each one, teach one, reach one, we multiply, we repost, and, you know, keep it going. When we get to a point where we can look in the mirror and address our former selves, I think that's huge. I think that's becoming a real man, being able to stand on, you know, what we've been through to say, I'm not that no more, but, you know, this is what I learned from it, and this is what I'm going to take, you know, going forward. Uh, what other struggles aside from, did you go through, you know, family struggles or, you know, or, or, or insecurities, anything like that? Uh a big struggle I dealt with uh, when I was a, when I was a kid. A big struggle I had to deal with in Miami was my father's past. In Miami, uh, my father was a a big time man down there where he was known for trouble, a minister society. So you know I come from that bloodline. So automatically when people saw me, they thought uh, bad. So I had to reinvent myself, do my own thing, and not just be my father, not his, mis his misuse. I wanted to be myself. So I became Quavon, and I chose to do things the right way. I mean, my father, like, I'm not the only dude that had to experience this. He was in prison my whole life uh, for some, some serious crimes, you know. I feel you I on that one. Um, you know, I was raised in a single parent home, either with my mom or with my grandparents. So I understand that not having a father in your home. How do you think not having your father in your home affected you when you were growing up? Not having my father in my home affected me tremendously, especially me now having my own son. I mean, it affects your confidence. I mean, it affects you. I had to listen to other people tell me who my father was. So I never got a, a, a real experience of who he was for myself. I learned my father through pencils and pens and letters. I mean, visitations. I mean, I don't think that's enough uh, time, an adequate time for a father and son to learn each other. I think the time is the most important thing at that at those pivotal years. And those in that time, I wasn't afforded to my father because the streets, I mean, you know, the streets got a saying, man, you a real nigga. You a real nigga. Man, I don't want to be nothing a real nigga if it got to take me away from my family to where I can't raise my king to be a king. And he got to listen to the streets, tell him to be a real nigga and repeat the cycle. 
you know, real niggas uh, end up two places, either dead or in jail. And that ain't real at all. And so thinking about, you know, how you was raised without your father and him not being in your life and, and turn around, you know, you got married, you know, you have a son, you know, now looking back in retrospect, how, how does that feel when, when, you know, you get to raise a little quick, you know what I mean? How does that feel knowing that you raised a little quick and what is your relationship with, you know, little quick and your dad? Like, how do you manage that relationship? My relationship with my dad now is amazing. I mean, I text him, I call him, I try to check up on him as much as possible. I'm proud of him. I mean, I thought he's um, been through and even in the streets to see the transformation that he's made. But right now he's working, you know, and he's a labor foreman. So it motivates me to see him in a good light right now. And that that's the light that he's choosing to stay up under. Uh, my son, well, our relationship is not is is day and day, night and night. Wherever I go, he go. I mean, wherever I step, he step. And I know that he's watching my every move. So I know I have to lead by example. And I can't just tell him, do this, son, do this. I have to show him. Then he will watch what I do so he can become a better man and one day have his family. So you mentioned football earlier. How was it transitioning from, you know, being an athlete, playing football to, you know, a family man, you know, having to let it go and coming back to it? How was that transition? Man, you know, in football, man, you learn everything in football. That's why football is a is a very – I like sports. Uh, I have a lot of good coaches in, in sports throughout the years, and those guys – being that my father was incarcerated, those guys played uh, tremendous. Those guys had a tremendous impact in my life, uh, positive impact. Uh, every one of them. I mean, some of them taught me te integrity. Some of them taught me uh, to finish through the drill. Some of them taught me courage, uh, responsibility. So just playing that game has taught me a lot. And now I use those things in my relationship with my wife and my son uh, being on time, uh, uh, having respect for each other. I learned so much through the game of football, and I apply those things to my life. And my coach always told me, he was like, man, one day, man, those these same things I'm teaching you, you're going to have a family. And then now you're going to use those things and still your family. And he, and he said, uh, this coach name was uh, Coach Cedric Hooper. This was my uh, coach at Little League. And I think when I met Coach Cedric Hooper, I was – maybe eight, nine years old. And those things that he taught me at those age, and I, I carried it on to I went to Miami Northwestern. I learned some things there. I went to Miami Jackson. I learned some things there. I went to University of South Florida. I learned a lot of things there. Uh, I mean, I even learned some things when I was incarcerated, man, that, hey, man, that, I mean, I just, I mean, life is a learning experience, and, man, and using those those learning lessons to apply to real life. I mean, and I use everything to my, like, the good. I, I've learned to use the good, the bad, and the ugly to formulate my opinions in life. Okay, when it's time to make a decision, I know if I do this right here, this right here is going to happen. I know if I do this right here, this right here is going to happen. And my wife knows those same things too. So we try to hold each other accountable. We try to be there for each other mentally, spiritually, emotionally, as much as possible. Uh, I just love the game. And I love life. And I love my wife. And I love my family. I just thank God for that. You just touched on how football is basically an outlet for you. Um, thinking about, you know, killing a cool, bites up, guns down, your movement. What else do you think that 
kids in Miami or kids in Tallahassee, you know, kids in those urban neighborhoods, inner cities, you know, what other outlets do they have other than, you know, football or sport? What other outlets do you think, you know, we need in our communities? Uh, I think in our community, we need more career days. That's me. That's my opinion. Because, I mean, yeah, the athletes, every every year we get around those athletes and when they come home on off season, they want to have a camp. I guess you want to teach the man how to be a, a, a entertainer. I mean, run through the hoops, do this and do that. But what about those guys that don't make it? I mean, I guess you tell those other guys, man, you can't be nothing because everybody's not going to make it to the NFL. Everybody's not going to make it to the NBA. Everybody's not going to be Rick Ross or, or Jay-Z, you know. We need guys to be lawyers. We need guys to be doctors. We need guys to be engineers. We need guys to be the work, the, uh, uh, the day-to-day jobs. I mean, and, and and guys to be okay with that. And you know that this, I'm providing this service so I can provide for my family so I won't have to be doing uh, a life sentence in prison. I mean, like it's. I mean, I think the career day thing would be so, would be a big thing for the kids. I mean, it will have a large impact, and the kids will be able to see it's other ways to make money. And I don't have to just be this, or I don't have to do that. I mean, it, and it will uplift uplift the guys and the women. How how did you transform? One day I was sitting in a cell. Uh, I watched my whole life flash before my eyes. You know, I went from being one of the top football players in my city, you know, on the national team, you know, playing with some of the best football players in my life. But I straddled the fence. You know, I chose to do good and behind the scenes, put money in my pocket and do bad. I was out here robbing, you know. I witnessed my friends become millionaires overnight. And, 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 And seeing that right there, I still kick myself in the butt, you know, man, because I know playing with guns ain't cool. And it put me in a situation where I had to risk my freedom, my family. I mean, I've experienced some things in life, man, that, that will force you to change. You know, man, I've seen dudes 16 years old, 15 years old, catch a life sentence. And I knew for a fact that wasn't the direction that I wanted my life to go in. I didn't think that's what God had for me. You know, I fell in love with God. You know, I fell in love with the word. And, you know, I, I thank God for my wife. And she never was the type of woman to push me to, hey, you know, man, Robin, all this is a okay thing. I, you know what I'm saying? So that was kind of a, a good thing for me because in my transition, she liked for me to do good things. So it was it was easy for me. So we, we touched on, you know, your father, you know, where you were raised, where you're from. But in the midst of this, you know, you, you got a wife. So you and Crystal been dating for a while, you know. Through all your circumstances, you know, y'all ended up being married after this. So, you know, how did you manage your relationship with Crystal through your adversities? Uh, it was tough. I mean, imagine going from seeing someone every day to now. At that time, man, Crystal was on her on freshman year going to college. She was going to college, so she was experiencing new things, and she was experiencing life, and she didn't see me in that light, so it, it hurt me. I let her down. I was Crystal's protector. I was the guider. I was everything to this girl. And to go through this, to go through this and, and let her down, man, that really hurt me. Now I had to write her. I had to be her pen pal. And she answered the phone when she really answered the phone. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, 
a different experience. I mean, experience that the average dude, you say you love your woman, man. Now you put her in, in, in a compromising situation where you can lose her just that fast. And imagine me in my situation, the judge was saying, man, if you lose trial, man, you're going to get a life sentence. Crystal had to hear that. Hear me saying, like, I was going to get a life sentence. The man she loved. So it's like, man, it was a tough situation. It was a tough time. Uh, man, I wish I would have never had taken her through that because, you know, she wasn't ready for that. She wasn't prepared for that. She was a young girl. She always she made straight A's through school. And that's and I and I showed her another side of me. And, you know, I just wanted to come back from that and, and prove that I was better than the situation and the choice that I made. And from that point on, that's what I've been doing, showing better. And she's and she's seen that in me. And now I asked her to be my wife. She said yes. And I married her, woman of my dreams. To God be all the glory. Well, that's that's huge. I mean, it's always it's always important and always vital to have that person in your life you can lean on. Uh, I have my wife, I lean on my wife all the time, also and my son. How how does it feel now looking back over your life, knowing what you've been through, the things you did? And now you have a son and a wife to take care of. How does that change your mindset? Nowadays, you know, I know for a fact they expect me to come through the door in the morning. They expect me to come through the door at night. They expect me to be there. And, you know, so, you know, a lot of the times you have friends that say, man, you don't come out no more, man. You don't do this, man. I have to put things in perspective, man. If I leave this earth, who's going to be here for them? And, you know, their lives mean so much more to me, so... I mean, I kinda, I'm kind of on a strict uh, diet, I would say. And my diet is my family, you know, whatever it takes to keep them happy, keep a smile on their face, and for me to preserve myself. Uh, that's what's big to me, family. Family over everything. I get it. I'm in the same boat. Looking back at the man you have become today and looking at Quay 10, 15 years ago, what message would you send to Quay? What would you tell Quay? Well, I would tell Quay, because I'm Quay Vaughn now. I would tell Quay, Quay, look at here, man. Learn the art of patience. Learn the art of waiting your time. Seeing things through. Prayer. Dropping on your knees when you don't know the answer and waiting on a better day. I would tell Quay, young Quay, uh, it's okay to not be your season right now. It's okay to, to go without. It's okay to to plan ahead. Now I would tell young Quay, man, you're not the only one going through this thing because when you when you make bad decisions, you hurt your whole family, and a lot of people go down those dark roads with you. That's a lot of messages I would send to young Quay, but the most important message I would send to Quay, young Quay, is man, have patience, have faith, and all things work together for the good. I want to touch on a topic you said. You know you. You were incarcerated for 20 months. My favorite uh, rapper is Lil Bootsy, man. You know what kind of stuff he rap about. But, you know, there's one song that stick out to me. He, he say, he talk about waking up. He talk about, if you're going to talk about the good, you know, getting money, you know, getting fast money, you got to talk about the bad. You know, he say, more of us rappers need to talk about the bad. Y'all need to wake up to reality and know, you know, this ain't good. So, you know, what was it like being locked up for 20 months? You know, what is it like for someone who, you know, walking that middle line between good and bad? You know, what's, what, what is it like? 
Man, it was horrible, man. I mean, I had a lot of people that believed in me, and I feel like I let them down. It was hard for me to look a lot of people in their face, you know, because they didn't know the bad that I was doing at night or throughout the day. But, you know, warning come before destruction. Uh, the day, a day in my life was head count. Early in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, head count. Then we would have breakfast. Food that you won't, you won't eat, man, they'll feed a dog. You know, then they let you go back down to sleep for a little bit. Then wake back up again. Seven o'clock again. Read your number out again. Head count. Head count. Head count. You might go outside for a little bit. They give you an hour of wreck. An hour to go outside and play. That's like a dog. Taking your dog out for a little walk for an hour. You get an hour of sunlight. Then you back in that cage again. I mean... You get the phone calls. I mean, there's so much tension in the cell. When you got people facing life sentences and everything like that. And you only got five phones. You might have 40 people in the cell with five phones. And everybody might have court dates. Some part, Somebody might heard, or might have heard bad news today. Somebody might have heard this. You got people doing these things, playing cards. You know, some people were able to order commissary. Some people are not. So you put them in a in an in animalistic environment, you know, men that are not able to see women anymore. So now they all they see it are men. Now they can't even watch a, 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 a porn book because those are taken away. So now you create homosexual activity amongst men. I mean, you're living in a world, man, a monstrous world, man, when you're living in there. A lot of things go on in that world. A lot of dudes lose family members. In, in the system and by the time they come home you might be you might be 12 years 14 15 years old when you go in that system you come home seven years old everybody in your family done died so man the system is real man and man I just pray it get better and you know guys learn to make better decisions better choices I'm just thankful you know God was able to allow me that that experience and I was able to overcome it now I mean I made a promise to become a better man, and I'm walking in that life. Uh, jail is for no one. I mean, I think you lock a bird in the cage. Uh, and even a bird, man, you got to let a bird fly because that's why you have wings. So I feel like a cage is for, cages aren't built for people. I mean, cages are cages, man. You don't want to be in a cage, man. And jail is one of the worst places to be. Uh, it's a waste of time. And one thing about time, you can never get time back. Jail ain't the place to be, man. And do the right thing, man. Do right by your family, man. Enjoy your freedom. Freedom is priceless because I know, man, uh, if my bail was a million dollars or a billion dollars or whatever the price was and while I was incarcerated, if I had the money to pay it and if I had a bond because I didn't have a bond because they don't tell you that certain charges don't carry bond. So imagine going to court and you got money, but you can't even bond out. So my charge didn't carry bond. So I'm sitting next to dudes and nobody can't bond out. So, you know, I mean, the justice system, you, you might even be guilty. You fighting cases, but you can't even bond out. Man, you don't want to take your family through that, man. Do the right thing, man. Yeah. This show, you know, being the process, trusting the process. What got you through this process? What got you through your journey? You know, and what's leading you into your future? What got me through this journey was my relationship with God. I mean, 
I've learned to learn God for myself, a personal relationship. And even when I talk to him, I talk to him bad about the bad parts, and I talk to him about the good parts. Like, man, God, like, come on now, look, man, what's going on? Like, I mean, like, this is my father. I don't talk to him as, like, oh, this. No, I talk to him as a father, like, Father God, like, strengthen me through these situations so I can deal with the outcome. Like, my relationship with God has brought me through so many things. I have people that say, man, you know, God ain't real. God ain't this. God ain't that. I mean, I know, man, I'm a human being, and we don't run off of gas. What's that? That's God, man. We run off of the living spirit. That's God. I mean, you ever seen a baby being born? I mean, that's God, man. So, you know, if I could say anything to help get me through my situation, it got to be all glory to God. Uh, to God be all the glory, you know. I mean, I just pray he put my wife in my, in my life, you know, my mom, I have a great mom, I have a great grandma, I have a, I have great friends, I have great family members that, that supported me through the situation. But the overall essence of who brought me through, I know it had to be God because no one else could have done it. The, my witnesses in the case, the, I mean, the victims, they came to court. I mean, they had me dead to the wrong. I had to go to trial. I mean, I had to go to trial, man. That's a scary sight, man, where the judge tell you, you know, if you lose trial, I'm going to give you a life sentence. And I stood the test of time when I knew I was dead wrong. And, you know, God brought me through. And I told God, you know, you bring me through this, man. I'm going to do better. I'm going to walk better. I mean, I did five years of probation, man. Man, that's 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 tough. You know, I just thank God I don't have a record, you know. I mean, I've been adjudicated. You know, I won trial. I mean, I had several law of cases, you know what I'm saying. And I'm glad the situation worked out for the best for me. I just pray, you know, if anybody going through a similar situation, they wake up because that system ain't no joke. I mean, it's crazy that your mom and dad birthed you. But once you get in that system, they can have no control over you. I mean, you got a God telling you what to do, what to do. Sit down, do this, do that, do this, do that. So, I mean, you don't want to get a part of that system, man. Man, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. You talked about your father being, you know, incarcerated while you were growing up. Uh, who raised you? Uh, I was raised in the home by my mom and my grandma, and I had a big, a huge influence of my uncles and my big cousins, you know, I mean, all my uncles, man, you know, they they beat the streets down, and, you know, there was a lot of negativity going on at that time, I and, mean, you know, my cousins went to prison, you know, I have cousins that I've been to the military and done oh, good, some good things, but, you know, a lot of good things. I mean, I want to say some good things. I have good positive people in my family, but for the most part, the, the, the bad been out wearing the good. I mean, more men been going to prison, more men been dying. I mean, it's kind of like a generational curse. And I'm trying to break that in my family. And hopefully I can lead and help other families break it in their families. Uh, show a better way. Lead by example. You know, and it's like in my city, like you have spoke on. Man, man we're going to try to squash the beef at halftime, man. We're going to try to squash all the beef. I mean, if you got a problem with somebody, let's squash the beef. Come on, man. Call them out. Let's challenge. That's a better challenge than uh, we have all these different challenges on, on social media. Oh, I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to squash the beef. And let's become kings and queens again. I agree. Um, I appreciate your interview. You know, we'll get to know myself and you a little bit more as we go on with this podcast but you touched on some key things you touched on making that compromise for your family you know alternatives 
uh, to gun violence, alternatives to playing a sport. You know, there are other career paths. There are other lifestyles to be lived, you know, for individuals who live in our community to, to branch out and to find themselves, you know, what it is to find yourself and be able to look at a negative situation and turn around and say, hey, this is what I've learned. This is the man that I am and this is the man that I've grown into. So throughout this duration of this podcast, you know, we'll get to learn, you know, more about you. But I think this was a good, a very good introduction for the people to understand, to get to know, you know, Quay, and Quay Vaughn Taylor, to get to know who you are. So I appreciate that. Do you have any uh, last words, any lasting words that you want to leave with the people? My lasting words are, man, be you. I mean, you don't got to be what the world tell you are. I mean, the world going to tell you. Okay, man. You see a brother down the streets, and he got a, and he got his uh, his cl- a different attire on. Okay, he's a bad person. My prime example, you might see, a, you might be a Christian, but you see a Muslim brother. I mean, that's that's his faith. Respect him, love him, but be you. I mean, create positive energy in the world. You know, everybody is different. Embrace the difference of different people. You know, be about your life. Be about your family. Be about the things that create positive energy and that make you smile. Things that don't make you smile, control, out, delete. Once again, control, out, delete. Man, praise God, love your family, and keep going forward. Thank you for your time, bro. Hey, thank you for sharing. So that concludes our first episode of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and also like us on iTunes. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed this show. And we'll catch you next week with episode two, where I introduce myself and my story. It's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. And I think that I chose to deal with this with grace. As many times as I wanted to blow up about the situation and get mad and fire off on somebody, I just thought to myself, like, what if I handle this shit with love, man? Like, you know, I know whatever you put out into the universe comes back. You know, if you put out positive energy, you get positive back. If you put out negative energy, you get the negative back. Today, I feel like this was the best decision I've ever made in my life. As a man, it taught me a lot. As a father, you know, uh, as a boss, as a CEO, the world was asking so many things of me. Like, you have to be this. You got to be this now. And I didn't know how to be. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm still not perfect, guys. You know, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still trying to find my thing, but I'm open to it and I'm ready for it. You know, I I just rather get his music all of me. I rather get my fans all of me. I rather get the fans the realness about me and, and what I've been dealing with. Good thing happens, thank God. Bad thing happened, thank God. Cause that's lessons. There's lessons in everything in life, in, in, in every single thing, and I think that it's just all on us to whether or not we choose to learn from that. Or we allow that to be our downfall. You know, I could never let any of the outside voices really get to me. 